I don't know that Michelle Obama sat down and said, okay, my target demographic are suburban 34 to 35 year olds. I don't think that that was her intention as much as I have a truth that I want to share. And if this truth then lands and resonates, then you're my audience. I do think that that sort of niche down mentality is always to be questioned. Are you ready to spark the flame of creativity? Welcome to the Kindling Project Podcast, where women come together to share, inspire, and grow, giving us insight into the people and processes that help them bring their Kindling Project to fruition. I'm Mick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Firestarter and friend, Mel. Together, we want to ignite your inner spark and help bring your passion projects to life by creating spaces to empower and support you. We're so glad you're here. Let's jump in. Hey, and welcome back to the Kindling Project podcast. Today's guest, Brenda Williams, is a culture shifter. She provides life and business coaching for soul-led feminine leaders, and she uses empathy-based practices to support women own their voices, embrace feminine power, and create mission-based businesses in service of social transformation, justice, and equity. Hey, welcome, girl. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited to see you. I'm always so excited to talk to you. Same. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. And I appreciate that you're doing this on a day that you're also running an event. So let's jump in and talk about this wide range of things and services and priorities that you have as a speaker, as a coach, as a podcaster, as a woman, as, you know, as a bilingual person, as a minority. You're just wearing so many hats and you're in so many different roles. I think, I think we need some clarification. Yes, I wear a multitude of hats and I look at myself this way. I'm a spiritual being first. And so when I look at myself from that standpoint, It helps me to understand that I'm connected to something much larger than myself. And then I think, secondly, I see myself as a woman. And then I see myself as a Black woman and a part of, you know, this community of global majority. And when I look at myself through that lens, then I understand that I'm part of such a vast and deep ancient order, if you you will, of, of humans that, you know, have brought to the world science, technology, music, art, spirituality. And it helps me understand that what I'm doing is not necessarily novel. It's not easy. So I don't want to like minimize it because it is not easy. But it's just sort of been the way. It's been the way of my ancestors. It's been the way of the women in my family. None of them have done just one thing. Right. They've all just done whatever is necessary. And I think taking care of community is also, it's just a thing that's necessary. Mm -hmm. It's just what you do. Absolutely. And it seems to come very naturally to you. Yeah. It's pulling on that, you know, on that work of your ancestors that you're referring to. That's right. The time got passed to me and I'm going to keep running as far and as fast as I can. And then, you know, pass the time on. It feels very authentic to me when I talk to you about it. I know you and I have a lot of overlap in our goals and mission when it comes to women and also when it comes to art and when it comes to creativity. But there's this one aspect of your business where I don't know if if I feel I have overlap, but I admire and I want to learn more. And it's the soul coaching aspect. I don't have um, a very clearly defined relationship with spirituality myself, but I feel feel it when I'm around you. 
and I feel it when I listen to you and even um, even just the cadence of your voice, I feel like it's centering. Talk a little bit more about soul coaching. Yeah, you know, I would love to say that it's something that I came up with, but I didn't. This is what my client said that I did for them. Oh, I believe that <laughs> because I can see it. Yeah, you know, spirituality and especially we're kind of in pop culture spirituality is kind of, you know, on trend. You can go to five and below and get namaste candles or, you know, yoga mat. And I think that while all of that is great, that does help with the mindfulness aspects and helps you to connect and center. But I do think that spirituality is something that is just so personal and intimate and for me, as a Spanish major, one of my favorite course studies was the mystics. So Sor Juan Inés and John of the Cross, Augustine, you can even get into like Rumi and Hafiz, Khalil Gibran, you know, that is also spirituality too. African drum, Carlos Santana. So I, I think that I draw upon a number of places of inspiration. And to me, art just naturally just always lended itself to me, to the divine, because there's something that's greater than you. And I think any artist or creator can attest that there will be something that comes in that feels so much greater than yourself. Yeah. And when you stand back and look at the finished work, you're like, I I didn't do that. It's sort of channeling that's right. That inspiration. Yeah. I've said this on a couple other um, podcasts. It's when you're engaged in something and there is no time and and the energy or the creativity travels through you or through me. This is my experience. I know that that's some connection with the divine, that that's something greater than or outside of myself or... Yeah. And it's so funny that you mentioned time because that was my last podcast episode. I have a podcast called Soul of a Leader. And Mm -hmm. the last episode that I did in my season was renegotiating my relationship with time. And so you have two ways in which we measure time. You have the the chronos time, which is month, days, seconds, hours, that kind of time. Right. But the time that you're speaking of, which is the Kairos time, that's the spiritual time where when you're engaged in the activity, whether, you know, it's a form of worship, if it's a form of dance, if it's a form of creativity, time and space really disappear And if you start and there's light and then all of a sudden you notice that the light, the natural light has disappeared and you're like, oh my gosh, where did the day go? Where did the time go? Then you were definitely enveloped in that whirling dervish experience, if you will, of the creative process. And it's a really beautiful place to be in. Kind of mundane, to be honest, like you could be washing dishes and get caught up in a rapture. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely enter that space most often through creativity, but for sure you can get there organizing your kitchen cabinets. I mean, it's just sort of that stepping outside of the ego and and being in the process of doing something or making something. And I think from our perspective here at the Kindling Project, this is really the essence of how we want to provide kindling to all of the women that join our community is there's that inner fire inside of you. There's that little thing that that's going to be where you lose time. That's going to be where you have the greatest impact or where you have the most untapped potential. And you don't necessarily have to access it through creativity. But I just think as women, this is 
something for us that we need to take back. And however big or small, whatever that kindling project is, I've sat in a number of, you know, whether it's a conference or a mastermind or a coaching group. And I do think that there's something specific to women that's a little, I don't want to leave men out, but this is just my feeling of it resonates more with us when it touches us more deeply, more creatively, more on a humanitarian level. You know, you're when you speak that way, it makes me think about Virginia Woolf, a room of her own. Yep. And I think you're touching on something that is really necessary, especially in our current ecosystem of monetization. You know, we're trying to figure out yeah. how to monetize, 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 monetize your YouTube. Here's your TikTok. Well, you need to be on TikTok. Monetize your TikTok. And there's this sort of this insatiable getting like we're doing things just to get a monetary gain from it and when our souls are properly satiated it creates a vortex of expansion and so while it may not directly come through as a dividend in the moment it does make you more receptive and more attractive to your good that's beautifully put yeah and so i think if we stop with not the sound crash just for the get off right but delay the gratification. And I think that there's something sacred there. And especially like in tantric practices, it's not just about the physical act. It's about cultivating intimacy. And I think the cultivation of intimacy is something that we've just lost in our, with all the modernization, with all the technology. And don't get me wrong, I'm a person with a podcast. I have social media. You know what I mean? Me too. I'm a reluctant participator. And I certainly have, you know, as a business owner myself, I've had a design agency for 12 years and now I've had the Kindling Project for a year and a half. I certainly have pursued the the business books and the business literature and the, you know, understanding your P&L and, and looking at your revenue and looking at your exit strategy. And I certainly don't mean to imply that you shouldn't do those things. But I just think that the, I guess, worship of capitalism and the dollar that we have in our culture, it can be such a deterrent for creativity and for potential and for expansion, as you described it. And so if you start with where am I going to expand? Where am I going to kindle? Where am I going to um, put fuel on this fire? If you start with that sort of creativity and expansion model, I do think the other stuff will happen or can happen. And it will absolutely happen. And I think what you're describing, especially, you know, in our capitalistic society, we have been operating on a very masculine paradigm right. for millennia. And I think that there is a reason why there's this feminine mm -hmm. call. All of the things that you're naming are, are really feminine aspects. And I do think wherever you fall along the gender binary, right, there is something to be said about tapping into the feminine qualities, the feminine aspects, and what you're doing with kindling, creating community. Women thrive better in communities. And I mean, we can see that throughout tribal experiences where you have covens or, or clans or, you know, sex, especially as women are evolving. There's always rituals and rites to commemorate each stage of your feminine evolution from birth to the transition to your teen years and moving into adulthood. There are these markers that I don't think we have necessarily anymore. We're not honoring our rhythms the way that we could or that we should. We're not built on a culture that even really acknowledges them. But you are creating a space. And so have you. And 
Mick and I stepped out there and we're working on this space and other like-minded women and, and similar spaces and collaborations and overlaps are just showing up, right? The connections, you know, the universe just sort of makes the connections for you, I think. I remember listening to an NPR interview with Angelique Kidjov, an amazing world beat singer, I believe she's from South Africa, and she says, we propose and God disposes. And I think there's something there when the two of you, you and and Monica said, there's a stirring in my soul. There's something happening here. And I'm sure you could feel it very viscerally yeah. in your body, like I have an urge and you follow the urge. And I just want any listener, it will not be by accident that this lands in your lap because every person is called to something great. Yes. There's a slow simmer that eventually becomes to an outrageous boil. If you don't listen to it, it will keep pushing you into the direction. And in my tradition, you know, God's going to have God's way. So if you can keep doing it your way. Right. See how that works out for you. But when the doors begin to close and there's a sort of dissatisfaction with what you're currently doing to the point of frustration, I hope it doesn't come to that. And I'm even working through that, Melissa. I'm really working through that I don't have to learn through the Kinsho because there's like two schools of thought, the Kinsho and Satori. Mm -hmm. Satori, you can learn through peace and tranquility or school of hard knocks. And I'm trying to not learn all my lessons the hard way with pain and anguish. Like I, I would prefer to learn it in a much gentler. Well, and even when the pain and the anguish shows up, because I don't think life is, I don't think anyone escapes life without pain and anguish, to somehow travel through it with just maybe a little more grace. <laughs> A little more calm. Uh -huh. I mean, that's sometimes what I work on, like when I monkey mind gets going and I'm working myself up or, you know, you can step outside of that and realize, oh, I'm actually the biggest contributor to this stress and drama. No one else is even hearing this dialogue that I've got going on. No one. I'd like to do a little more of the Satori path myself. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't always, I mean, sure, yes, life is lifing. Right. And it does get to be beautiful sometimes. And I definitely, especially with my clients, the Black women that I coach, I encourage strongly laughter. Yeah. Laughing. And most recently, I had a, a session where a client was like, you know, am I asking for too much? And I'm like, ask for it all. Because if we're just being honest, when have men and particularly mediocre white men settle for less? Like whatever they want, whatever they feel <laughs> brazen enough, not to get overly political, but, you know, we've watched. Someone with zero political experience yeah. up in and run a country. Right. <laughs> I don't know how well, but yes, unfortunately, right. Audacious enough to believe that he could do it. Right. And did it. Right. And cultivated a base. Yeah. That still, as we're watching, as we are watching a base that is still supporting the idiocracy, but still supporting. And so if we just looked at that as an example. How many overly qualified women, and I'm sure you've talked to their close friends, that are overly qualified, but feel like because they don't have these one or two things yeah. that may be the job or they feel that the mission is calling for. And everybody around them, even the people that love them, hold them back. Because culturally, sacrifice for women, right? I mean, we get the message from a super young age, share 
divide what you have in half, set aside your time for others, be the caretaker, take care of your younger sibling or take care of your sick parent. Or the one that just kills me is be practical, do something to make money. That doesn't sound like a good idea. It's too high risk for you. So we just get those messages. We're just inundated with those messages to put our own passions aside for someone else or for something that makes more sense, something less threatening, less risky. It's absolutely, like you said, not really the case for men and particularly white men. If I were practical, I would still be in the classroom. And if I were being practical, I wouldn't have left a job interview for a very prominent marketing agency that would After the interview, I think less than six months later, that company imploded. It happens all the time. But I think that's a lesson in that you have an intuition that's very, very valuable. That's right. And you're listening to it and you're also modeling it for other people. This intuition that we have isn't by accident. It's absolutely by design and absolutely is a thing of value. Yes, it is. You know, our conversation is is very much affirmative because we agree on so many of these things, but it's also revolutionary because not everybody's having these conversations. No. And I get it. You know, in the 3D realm where we have consequences, bills, obligations, responsibilities, however, there's a part of yourself when you can surrender to what some may call delusion, what some may call lunacy or being impractical. There's nothing in our 3D reality that we use, i.e. the computers that you and I are using to have this conversation, the headphones that are on our ears. None of that, you know, at the time of its invention was practical. Or even feasible shortly beforehand. I mean, some of the things that show up in the world were not even feasible until they were there. I mean, to think that the Wright brothers were considered heretical for attempting to fly, Mm -hmm. like that was considered heresy. And there's definitely things that we've bought into today that will be that crazy retrospectively. So one of my favorite people on the face of the planet, I got I read an article yesterday that uh, Cher has an ice cream truck. How fun. And if anyone knows me, they know I love Cher. Like, I'm upset. My mom will call me like if she's on the late show, your girl's on. And like, <laughs> I already automatically know who it is. Like, she doesn't even have to say her name. Tina Turner. Grace Jones. I love that Grace Jones is like in her 70s wearing a swimsuit. I love her, man. I just, what what a force. I so admire that fierce woman. I do too. And so when you think about like these formidable women, where would we be? And of course, we don't personally know them, but I mean, I often listen to, you know, share interviews. I listen to Grace Jones interviews and they're, they consistently pushed the envelope. And in the pushing you know, create space. And so in what ways in our communities can we push envelopes that create space? Because every envelope pusher, they say well-behaved women really make history. That's so true. And so I think that it's not so much that you are a rebel. I think the system is the actual culprit and is the actual rebel because liberation is a birthright. I mean, I have to fess up. I, uh, I'm i 50 years in of being quite well-behaved. <laughs> No time like the present. However, I definitely have a subversive streak in me. Well, you're an artist. Of course you have a subversive spirit. It's something about midlife where I'm like, I'm letting this beast out. There's no time like the present. And I think sometimes being underestimated is actually a superpower, right? Oh, absolutely. And also, 
I don't necessarily fancy myself as the Grace Jones, but I know that I could build stages for the next Grace Jones. That's right. And I think, you know, that reminds me of the work of Deepa Iyer, who is a social justice advocate. And she has a social justice framework where you have multiple entry points. So you can be a storyteller, you can be a weaver, you can be a, a visionary. But however you see yourself within the framework, each part of it is necessary to create the shift. And that's in your business name. Talk a little more about culture shifting. Any person who is confronted with wanting to create a business that does more than just make a profit, you sit with yourself. And and it was like, well, what is it that I'm really trying to attempt? And even as a little girl, I've always been enamored with anthropology. And anthropology in and of itself deals with culture. There are many definitions of culture, but one of which that really stuck out to me was behaviors, agreed upon norms, beliefs, values, all shape a culture. I think really for me, what was the most disruptive was, and not that sadly, George Floyd was the first victim of police brutality. We had to pay attention. Philando Castillo was definitely one that took me clean out. Hearing him, because I never watched the video, but I read the manuscript. And it's like, it's something about reading where the voice becomes faint. You know that it's not fiction, that this character, that this living person, this breathing person has met an end. And so it said to me that this is a result of a broken culture, or better, a culture that was designed to not value the life of some while giving precedence and favor and privilege to others. How do we do that? And for me, the work has always been within the feminine. And when I really understood the gifts of the feminine, the wisdom, the community, the intimacy, the incubation of life, then we have to shift. And the tagline for the business is empathic feminine leadership for an emerging world. I love that. And I think that when you can state that, that's half the battle of what you're doing and why you're doing and who you're doing it for. And women, women are behind every single human being, man, woman, or in between, anyone on the spectrum, he, she, or they. There's a woman gave birth to that human being. And I think tapping into that natural energy that women have here to care for, to birth, to propagate, some of that has been suppressed, you know? And we have to take responsibility for that of like, we need to listen to our own calling to care for. But if we're indoctrinated into believing that our own voices don't matter, then it sort of becomes self-silencing. And I mean, I've been being an undergrad and math is like my worst subject. Me too. And I noticed that I would sit in the back of math class, but sit in the front of Spanish or English or any of the social sciences. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. mind sitting in the front. And so that says subconsciously that there was a feeling of inadequacy. Let me sit in the back. Let me not be seen. Please don't call on me. Don't call me up to the board to solve the equation, you know, being from the continent of Africa. Then I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I have an aversion to the very thing that I created. Where does that come from? And I think so many of us have succumbed or buy into stories. And this goes back to culture. Buy in into these cultural agreements that we all consistently every day have to break up with. I think you get sorted into math and science or language arts very, very early. 
in our school system. And I know I personally checked out even sooner, but I did have this sort of awakening after, I don't know, four or five years of entrepreneurship. Now I'm running a business, right? And I'm looking at spreadsheets. I did have the thought kind of midlife of, did I opt out or was I opted out? This isn't so hard. Actually, when it's practical application to something I care about, I can follow along just fine. Right. So I had a whole I had a whole narrative that I wasn't good at math. You know, the very first thing that I hired when I started a business was a bookkeeper and a CPA because I'm not touching the numbers. (laughs) And I've sort of grown into this idea of I don't know if I really should have been opted out. It's the culture. I mean, I thought for many years that I could not go into business, even though I have a business background and once uh, graduated from Wayne with a minor in international business marketing. And I thought that because I'm so artistic and I have so many passions and interests, that there's no way that I could necessarily run a business. And for me, I had to flip it. I can run a business. And not only can I run a business, I'm called to run a business, but I have to do it in a very spiritual and a very feminine. And at the time that I entered it, I just even... Women were running their businesses in a very male-identified way. And I think you and I had touched on it about, you know, the KPIs and, you know, and that's saying that that's not important, but what's your niche? And I was told early in my business, well, you need to find a niche, niche down, niche down. Who's your target audience? You know, who's your demographic? I would learn so much later that there's so many other ways of identifying, you know, the person that you're called to work with. There's sociographics, there are emotiographics, like there's so much more to understanding, quote unquote, you know, target audience. And I would hear all the time, well, you can't serve everyone. You can't serve everybody. And while that's that's true, you can serve a wider, maybe spectrum of people. And I think when we look at Oprah, the Beyonce's, Michelle Obama. I don't know that Michelle Obama sat down and said, "Okay, my target demographic are suburban 34 to 35 year olds. I don't think that that was her intention as much as I have a truth that I want to share. And if this truth then lands or resonates, then you're my audience. I do think that that sort of niche down mentality is always to be questioned. That's the easy way out, right? That's for the quick sale. And I think that Michelle Obama is like a beautiful, perfect example of if the message resonates and if it's true for human beings, we don't need to worry about what niche this one and that one is in and and shouldn't be categorized. I've been having this conversation. So I have a 14-year-old son. He's in his first year of high school. And my daughter was a little bit more of a rebel socially. She never actually tried to fit in. And so now I have a son who's going through high school and he very much is concerned about where he fits in. Everything from sports, like on this leaderboard of, you know, he's doing this ranking with his basketball team of like, oh, I don't know if I'm, this one's number one and this one's number two. And then he somehow decides that he's six or seven out of 15. And he's constantly like, you know, what group do I sit with at lunch? And what group am I going with to homecoming? And, you know, I was driving a kid with him to the gym the other day and I asked the kid about, oh, are you going to homecoming too? And then later, don't bring up homecoming with him because he's not going in our group. And I'm like, your group? The whole high school's going. (laughs) Like, why are you so concerned about which group you're in and which group your other friends are in and this sort of separation and categorizing and niching? And how do these ideas soak into such a young person? To the culture, it goes right back to that. And of course, we know that belonging 
is so integral to our human makeup. We want to find a place that we belong. And even if it's in a group that we don't necessarily agree with, and it sounds like your daughter doesn't care about this, but I don't want to be rejected. But again, when we think about history and those who have made insignificant impacts in, in ways that have bettered our humanity, they were strange. They were uh, They were different. They were peculiar. I'm sure it goes back anthropologically to some survival need, right, to belong. If you don't have an in-group, you're not safe. (laughs) It's an interesting thing to watch and observe in young people and to look at it in your own life and then just to push against it a little bit, especially, I think, in business. Or this idea that you have to present in any one way and even in the feminine like you don't have to I don't know well quaff manicured hair and have like the lifestyle branded shoes and at least that's some of the conversations that I have with my clients I mean being a creative director and having gone through this process on the creative side with so many clients I find like one of their big hurdles is comparison it's of course valuable to benchmark against your peers and to understand where you are in a market but It's more valuable to ask yourself, what is it about this business or about me that's authentic and true that I can share that will resonate with people? Because you you hear this all the time and it sounds contrite, but people do business with people. 99% of the time, given the choice, they're going to pick people they like. I think it's even a little deeper than that. I think you're going to pick people that resonate with you or the truth rest or you feel like there's a common bond. And I think that when you and I and uh, Monica met at, at Bamboo, you and I had gone out before. But when the three of us were together, I think that there was some sort of like resonance. Yeah, I feel that way about you too. And you realize in whatever activity you're doing, but for, for our conversation, you know, there's a lot of women pursuing passion projects or pursuing businesses. You realize that the people that you resonate with are going to show up and they're going to stay and that vibration is going to grow. And one of the one of the barriers I've found to that growth is hanging on to the people that aren't resonating. I have suffered. I mean, I don't think suffer is an exaggeration because I'm extremely sensitive and empathic and bonded to other people. You know, I have suffered when people have come and gone or when I couldn't win them over, or when when our ideas didn't align. And I've spent a lot of energy in my life trying to put square pegs into round holes, because I do tend to have a mentality of never letting go and always making it work. You know, it's borderline like psychotic people pleasing, but <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But, but, you know, just working and running and working and running and trying to solve for something that if you just let go... What happens naturally is what's supposed to happen. The people that are supposed to be there are going to be there. And then it's going to feel easy. Uh-huh. Like the conversation that you're describing that Mick and I had with you is it's just no effort, really. I want to encourage anyone who's listening, look for that. Stay in that space because you can get really busy. You can get really busy and really invested in the space of trying to make difficult things work when actually letting things that are easy and natural work is clearly the better choice. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. And I think that, again, as we're talking about more, I guess, emergent strategies or or more emergent ways to be working, 
and even really living. Because I'm, I'm a more fluid person, like I'm not very compartmentalized. But I will say that because that's not normalized doesn't mean that it isn't right. And when people kind of give you these sort of like, I don't know, gospel tried and true best practices, and it's like, right. but this is based on your experience. And I think you touched on it with, right. you know, things like human design, right? Like, I really do believe that every individual has their own blueprint of how things work right. for them. And you can offer best practices, but going back to what you mentioned about intuition, that's one of the ways I work with me. How does this resonate? Does that land with you? I am not some sort of guru up in a ivory tower yeah. that just knows, that knows all. I very much you distrust know. anybody with a formula because I don't, you know, I don't know if a formula really applies to everybody. No, it doesn't. Look, I have thousands of dollars wasted to prove that yep. it does not. Me too. Well, so this sort of intuitive coaching that you're doing, tell us some of the success stories. Tell us, how does this work in actual practice? Well, I will say that one of the things that I work with my clients on, particularly around money mindset, perhaps, is that it's all tied to our energetics. And it's also tied to truly our identity. Because yes, we, we have thoughts and beliefs. Yes. But who are you? Most of my clients have some form of, uh, of a spiritual practice, whether they call it God, source, universe, higher power. The success really comes from the surrender back to your true identity, which is divine. And that can help the mental chatter that wants to come in and tell you that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not this enough, you're not that's that enough. I would say that the majority of my clients have a master's degree, several certifications, some of them PhDs, but yet there's still something. And when we go back to that inner child, maybe somewhere in their formative years, there was a message, no matter how accomplished they are, which fueled the accomplishment because you're wanting to prove mm. that you're valuable, that you're worthy. So one more degree, one more certification, uh, one more accolade will then get me closer to worthiness. And that's false. You were born inherently worthy. You have a divine lineage. And so the success that I've seen uh, with my clients is, and it's not overnight, is when they begin to chip away at the notion and idea that they're less than their divine birthright. And then that helps you to have the courage to ask or going into uncomfortable conversations business breakups. I've helped clients navigate that when partnerships are no longer aligned. And how do I, you know, remove myself from from this relationship? Well, if you're codependent and are used to the toxicity, you can feel like this is normal and I'll just grant and bear it. All the while, you know that in your soul, like this isn't where you're supposed to be anymore. Have there been opportunities for some of my clients to, you know, hit the elusive six figures? Sure. But for me, the deeper thing is getting more in touch with their divinity and embracing their superpower of empathy and speaking truth to power and being more comfortable and more resolved in who they naturally are. Those to me are the bigger successes. Yeah. And I think ultimately, if you're comfortable in your skin and you've embraced who you are, it telegraphs. Mm. I sat in this morning before our podcast on a talk about mergers and acquisitions, and the speaker um, 
was part of a large equity firm. And uh, one of the things that he said that, that is kind of resonating with me in this conversation, and this was a very traditional sort of equity person, older white gentleman had been in this business for decades, I think actually probably what most of us envision. But paradoxically, one of the things he said this morning, he's like, when I actually sit down with you, I'm not looking at your books. I'm not looking at your money. I'm looking at you. Do I trust you to do what you say you're going to do? And he also confided, and I think I can share this because I haven't revealed him. He has a person on his team from law enforcement sit in on the meetings who really actually does a personality assessment of the person to detect for integrity. And so... Even in these very sort of traditional transactional situations, we just in our gut sort of were bucking them, right? Some of the things that we're saying are of value, here's this equity investor saying, that's actually what's of value. Even to me, at the end of the day, one of the things that he said a couple times was, there isn't a good business that I can't solve all their problems with money. If it's a good business, I can solve them with my money. He's like, but you know, the flip side of that is, if it's not a good person, there's no fixing that. And good is maybe not, that's a very relative term, but I think what you and I are talking about is like an, auth an authentic, authentic person, person, a person who's in touch with their true self. They're doing something out of passion or with meaning or with conviction. It's sort of that alignment of character and conduct and output that is like the perfect secret yeah. sauce, I think. Yeah. I agree. And I think that you do have that dance of the masculine and feminine energies. But at the end of the day, you're going to want to sort of hit that triple bottom line where it is people. You have the people, you have purpose and you have profit. But you want to make sure that at the end of the day, you can look at yourself in the mirror and know that um, you've made decisions that were fair and equitable how does the decision that I make today or the practice that I have today impact seven generations forward? That's a powerful question. And thinking about of impacting generations forward, you also have a nonprofit you're involved with. We haven't even gotten to that yet. Tell us about the power of girlhood. Yeah. So the power of girlhood just turned 12 years old. Wow. Yeah. We're, we're a leadership organization for girls between the ages of eight and 18. Uh, we celebrated a Tweens Leadership Institute most recently, and we're gearing up for the International Day of the Girl. And that happens uh, October 11th, but we're doing a week-long tour. So we'll be in five schools over five days, uh, speaking to audiences of, of girls and upwards to anywhere from 100 to 300 girls in an auditorium. And the International Day of the Girl, for those who are not familiar, is a, is a day sanctioned by the United Nations where globally there's going to be a pause to look at the societal, social and economic impacts and directly how they disproportionately affect girls. So everything from Title IX push out to uh, menstruation in, in certain areas definitely can be a barrier to education, violence against women and girls, economic justice environmental justice, but how does it impact um, girls and those who are female identified most? And I felt that it was uh, not only an important conversation, 
But how do we do it in a way we're not talking at them, but with them? Mm-hmm. You know, being there to probe and ask curious questions and hear what their reflections are on how we move our our world and our society forward. I love that. So you're inviting them in to the process of improving their own lives. I mean, how else can we if if you're not having those that we say are the most valuable in on the on the conversation? And, you know, we have the Inner Voice Project, which is an emergent uh, multimedia platform. We published a magazine, which I'm super excited about, too. And again, from top to bottom, and we had girls writing, publishing, contributing poetry, artwork, op-eds, <laughs> advice columns, all from from girls. And how can people get involved? Sure. So if you want to get involved, you can head over to thepowerofgirlhood.org to find out more information about volunteering, having us come and facilitate our program at your institution, whether it be a school or a summer camp, or I think there's even midwinter break camps, all kinds of things that are that are happening. Yeah, girl, you could do Girl Scout troops, I bet. We could. You could. Yep. Girl Scouts of America. You could reach out. You could be a troop leader and have us come in and work with your organization. Well, we are going to have all of your contact information, all of your socials in the show notes for today. I so enjoyed talking to you. I think that that your voice and your message is, it's exactly the kind of message that I'm doing what I'm doing. And I want to let everybody know that Verhenda is also going to be on our stage at our Kindle Her Fire event on October 19th in Northville. So you can find the information on all of our socials to purchase a ticket and come and see her and the amazing lineup of female speakers that we have that day. And let's give a shout out to someone on our way out. That's one way that we sort of wrap up the show. If you've been listening, do you have somebody you want to give a shout out? Forever and always, all my female ancestors, particularly my grandmother, who made her transition in 2017. Mm. But I would definitely like to shout out um, my sister, Brianna Williams, who is a highly sought after boudoir photographer and proprietor of the House of Contents, female-owned business. And I definitely want to give a huge shout out out to my mother oh i love that mothers make the world go round thanks for tuning in want to help us keep the fire going share this episode give us a rating and subscribe for more awesome content also want access to lots of freebies to fuel your passion project well head over to our website and sign up for the weekly emails and finally calling all fire starters We'd love for you to join our community at the Kindling Project Ignite Facebook group. Until next time, keep stoking the fire.